again, everybody. It is time for the Mainland Podcast. It's, uh, well, we're at a historic episode number 125, and uh, my name is Michael Citro. If you are unfamiliar with uh, this show or with me, I'm the founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com, and uh, we cover all things Orlando City, Orlando Pride, and uh, just generally uh, soccer in Central Florida. So um, I want to uh, introduce my co-host. You know him. You love him. Dave Rowe in Tallahassee, how you doing? I'm pretty good, although I think you might be stretching it a little bit on the love me. Uh, I, I, if, if everybody just uh, you know will tolerate, I, I'm good. If, if they'll you know tolerate that, that that that's enough. Well, I figure they don't really dislike you. They might dislike that you live in Tallahassee. Oh uh, well, that's true. My girlfriend probably likes that I live here though, because that would be a heck of a commute for a relationship. Yeah, could be. All right. So, Dave, I want to let's just not sugarcoat it. Orlando City's six game winning streak came to an end on Sunday uh, in a game against Atlanta United of all teams. Uh, Not the team you want to take a loss to. Uh, But I think this was a game where Orlando City went in thinking, you know, this will be a game that tells us where we're at in terms of our development as a team and, and taking those steps forward toward becoming a title contender and, uh, you know, or at least a playoff team. And I think that for the most part, uh, I think Orlando city can, uh, take away from the game that they, you know, the Lions played toe to toe with, you know, maybe the best team in the league right now, you know, it's certainly a team playing at the top of its, uh, of its abilities. And, I didn't think that Atlanta necessarily outplayed Orlando. I think Orlando was a little slow um, in the first half in some areas, uh, maybe nerves, uh, who knows. But, um, you know, and, and then, of course, the an early penalty went against Orlando City just uh, nine minutes in, a, a very soft penalty, which kind of had a, a, a bit of an effect on the uh, the outcome of the game, certainly, um, mm-hmm. and, and setting the tone for that game. Uh, but I think Orlando City can really hold their heads high uh, after that match. A, a 2-1 win for Atlanta. They they went up early, as I mentioned, a, an early penalty, very soft. Uh, Chris Nugita, got to keep your hands down. Uh, he got his hands up. Didn't look like a whole lot of contact. Um, certainly, Chris Nugita must be Thor or the Hulk because <laughs> uh, the way of Greg Garza slammed it to the ground. Uh, would indicate uh, a strength that we've not seen in the young Colombian. And, uh, you know, Alan Kelly bought it. I mean, Garza was selling and Kelly was buying and it was a penalty. And Joseph Martinez uh, scored it. And uh, before you, you know, a lot of fans were even in their seats. It was 1-0 to the visitors. And um, it was one of those things. I think we were talking in the press box that it might be one of those games that we haven't seen in a while where, Things just don't go Orlando's way in terms of, you know, some strange calls and some strange bounces and things like that. Uh, but, you know, Orlando City kind of tried to regroup. I think um, Atlanta was uh, pretty good in the midfield in the first half. Uh, I think that in some respects, Higita and, and Yoshimar Yotun had some issues early dealing with the pace of the Atlanta attack. And Atlanta was able to you know, get a turnover in the midfield and turn that into a second goal and take a 2-0 lead uh, in the first half hour. And it was, you know, then it was, it was kind of one of those things where you thought, you know, Orlando's been down before, but this is a game that could get away from the Lions if, uh, if they're not careful. 
Yeah, absolutely. The here's the thing: win streaks end. I don't care, you know, who you are. It, it comes to an end at some point, and it just so happened. Unfortunately, it was against Atlanta. So be it. Um, let's face it. Uh, I mean, you mentioned that uh, Kelly bought it, but uh, on the penalty. I, the only thing that I had a problem with was that he wasn't consistently buying the same things. Um, well, we'll get know, into the officiating. Uh, yeah, Let's just yeah, get, we'll get the recap. Really. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> yes, the the penalty happened, whether you agree with it or not. Um, it, it did have a little bit of a different feel in that, um, you know, whereas before, you know, we had gone, what, you know, three out of the five games or four out of the six games we had gone down. Uh, to start the game and came back and, and would win or, or draw. Um, this one you felt a little bit different about, especially once you're down two. It it, it feels like a pretty pretty tough uh, hill to climb. But um, after, you know, let me say this. During the first half, I definitely think Orlando City, like you said, whether it was nerves or whatever, they, they were outplayed. They were outpaced. But they did finally settle in um, when they came out for the second half and, and um, they, they did seem to, in my opinion, be the better team in the second half. And they got one back and uh, I, I almost held out some hope, but then all kinds of things happened that we'll talk about in a little bit. Well, they get to halftime. It's two nil. There was also a shout for penalty on the other end that went unheated with a, what looked to be a handball in the box off of a, a kicked clearance attempt that went off a foot and then off a hand and uh, nothing called on that end. Um, well, and every single lion <clears throat> threw up their arms going handball, so it's not like it was one person that saw it. Right, and, it, you know, you you expect in certain situations, sometimes you see guys throw up an arm like a hopeful arm, and in other situations, you know, there are severe protests. And uh, this, there was there were some severe protests on that one, but you know nothing gets called. He didn't see it. Okay, you move on. It's two nothing at the half. Uh, Orlando City didn't. I, I thought this was a tough game for Gita. I thought that he had uh, been playing fantastic soccer, his best soccer of his career. Uh, but I think maybe whether he put too much pressure on himself or whether he just had trouble handling the pace of the game, you know, through the midfield having to deal with Barco and um, Almiron and Gressel. Uh, you know, I, I thought that he didn't play very well, and I also thought that Yotun had one of his uh, poorer mm-hmm. performances. And you know, some of that is is credit to Atlanta, but some of it was just absolutely uh, some of it was unforced errors. It was telegraphing passes. Um, it was not, you know, knowing where you were going to go with the ball. The thing you the thing about Atlanta that makes them sort of fun to watch and certainly makes them dangerous offensively is when they get the ball, they know where it's going and they put the ball there without even thinking about it. It's already gone. They know where it's going. And it, it, it sounds like something you could just watch film and go, okay, that's what they like to do. So now when I, when the ball's turned over, I need to go to that spot and I will, I will be able to defend this play. And yet it doesn't happen. Nobody does it. It's just, it's crazy. Like the, the turnover for the second goal, Higuita was slow to react. The ball gets through to Barco from Almiron. And then, you know, he, he didn't really get back into the play per se. And then Yotun kind of ended up in no man's land on that play. Uh, with the cross coming in, he was he was neither marking anybody nor really staying between the oncoming attackers and the guy with the ball. So uh, he didn't stay between Garza and Barco, and he didn't 
really go and mark anybody. So I think Yotun got a little bit lost in the in the uh, the transition there. And you know, it's it's you know they can't all be gems. Not every game can be outstanding. And it was a tough start for Orlando. But in in all, I didn't think it was a horrible first half. I think that certainly there were problems breakdowns in the opposing third. But I thought overall, and it, and it bears what, you know watching. If you go look at the the halftime stats, they were pretty even. Um, just one team had two goals and one team didn't have any. So uh, some impatience, I think, in the attack. And, and Jason Kreis also addressed that. He said he actually wanted the guys, you know, people are saying, you know, they got to be quicker. But Kreis actually said he wanted them to slow down. Right. Because he wanted them to not turn the ball over and give Atlanta those chances. He wanted them to be methodical, deliberate, keep the ball, don't turn it over, make good passes, and then make good decisions in the final third when they combined. But they they didn't really do that in the first half so much. The second half was much better. They came out one of the, the changes, of course. Uh, Igita was on a yellow, as we saw the old Higita. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, Yuri Rossell came on for him, and it looked like that was a great move because Orlando city really stayed on the ball. The rest of the, the, the game quite well, I thought, and didn't give up a whole lot of opportunities. You know, Atlanta, some of that is them hanging back with the lead, but they're not a team that sits back a lot. They, no, they like to add to their lead and just put teams away. And so they were looking for opportunities, but didn't get a whole lot of them. Got a few, but not a lot. Um, the team played much better in the second half. And, and here's the thing. There is a reason why Atlanta is at the top of the table, okay? As much as we hate the fact that it is it is that they are a very good team, they are able to score goals, they are dangerous. And like you said, Orlando was essentially, other than a couple of minutes, you know, maybe 20 minutes of the first half, was able to go toe to toe with them, come out with a two-one loss. It, it, I agree with you. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, I, I made a comment. I don't remember if it was uh, uh, in the chat room or on a on a, a comment somewhere, but uh, basically I said, "Look, I have all kinds of emotions during the game, and I'm upset just like anybody else." But uh, later, I, I, I can step back and and look at it from a analytical point of view, and um, it's not the end of the world. The sky is not falling. You know, the loss to Atlanta is not the end of the season. This is uh, this is a bump in the road. And, um, you know, there are some things that we can – the team can learn from and move on and things that uh, they can they can build on. Um, so including uh, – you had mentioned it, but uh, I, I know you're getting to it. Justin Merrim finally scores a goal. Yeah, I, mean, I wish you'd stop stealing my thunder, man. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think the goal here is to talk anybody down. I mean, people are probably not happy with the loss, but I don't know that anybody's panicking. Uh, I think I think that um, the second half certainly was much better. Um, you know, Johnson steps up and just crushes one that uh, goes off of uh, the goalkeeper, had to fight it off. It was knuckling. It was dipping. He fights it off. Miram is first to the ball, beats Miles Robinson, to, takes a step to get around him, and just uh, passes it into the back of the net. Just uh, easy as you please. First goal <laughs> right. as a lion. Finally, Dave. Finally, the Mesopotamian lion is on the board. I think we saw the monkey jump off his back and run up into the stands. 
it was really a good moment. You had to feel good for Justin. He's uh, he's come so close so many times, and, and really that could have been a tying goal because uh, late in that first half that I forgot to mention, uh, a really nice buildup and a ball in for Higita. Mm-hmm. He heads it directly at the goalkeeper from pretty much point-blank range. That should have been a goal. Uh, well, unfortunately, it wasn't. And that's, it wasn't. Christian, that's Christian Higita. It doesn't have a whole lot of offensive bones in his body. And, uh, you know, and it wasn't his game regardless. I mean, like we mentioned, he, you know, he's been playing off. really well, but this wasn't his game and yeah. including that header. Yeah. So two, one, and really it felt like here we go again. It really felt like from that point on Orlando seemed the more likely team to score an equalizer than, uh, than Atlanta felt that they were going to, uh, you know, get a, a get a third. And, uh, you know, not a lot of really good clear-cut opportunities. And, and credit to, you know, credit to Atlanta's defense uh, some. They have an underrated defense. But also, uh, it was, there were a lot of stops and starts. And it was it was really hard to get uh, a whole lot of rhythm. Just a lot of fouls, a lot of um, chippiness, um, some injuries, and a lot of whistles. And so, of course, uh, at the end of all of that, there's uh, some stoppage time. And Orlando, again, just continued to try to pour forward. They had, had brought on Coleman, who I think added a very nice uh, dynamic to the midfield. He, his quickness really seemed to bother Atlanta. Um, and he got the ball into some dangerous spots. He was able to, to get a couple crosses in. He was able to uh, win a few corners. And, um, you know, there were some opportunities there for Orlando City to, to tie it up. Uh, couldn't quite do it. Um, late going. Got a couple of minutes of stoppage time left. Uh, you know, Will Johnson goes down, tries to get a call because, let's face it, people going down, that was drawing calls. Alan Kelly was buying into a lot of that. Uh, but it was seemed to be mostly one way, and he, he didn't buy Will Johnson's. And I will say this, watching it live in the stadium, in the press box, it looked like a foul. It was, it turns out, not really a foul so much as a dive and a, a, an attempt to get a call. And he did not get that call. He went crazy. And then the fans went crazy. And the only thing that that accomplished was it took away any chance for Orlando to come back and tie the game because Alan Kelly rightly uh, whistled the game right after the restart. I mean, he didn't even wait for the game, yeah. the, the field to get cleaned off. He was, you know, you got to be concerned about player safety. It was going to, who knows how long it would have taken to get all the bottles and cups and stuff off of the field. Because the, you know, the, the few security guards that wandered onto the field were not really moving very quickly. They were just kind of moseying around. Let me just walk over here and kick this bottle off to the side. It was, we actually were kind of chuckling about it in the press box because it was, it was comical how slowly they were moving. So, you know, he blows full time. It's 2-1 and the win streak is over. Uh, but we have more to discuss about the match. But before we do, let me get your man of the match. This was a very tough one. Um, there was, uh, oh, okay. So I was between uh, Tarek and Justin Miriam. I think as much as I want to give it to Justin for giving his, getting his first goal, I'm going to go with Amro. I think he played very well uh, through the match. He had um, he was good on defense where we needed him to be. You know, 
he played a very good game. Uh, so, like I say, as much as I would like to give it to Justin just because he got the first goal, I've got to go with Tarek. Yeah, Amro Tarek was my man of the match. Uh, I thought that he and Sané both played quite well, and I also thought Mohamed El Munir played very well. Um, but uh, Tarek played uh, just lights out. He was amazing. He tracked, uh, covered a lot of ground. He used his quickness. I think between he and Sané, they limited uh, Martinez to three shots, uh, and one of those was the penalty. So uh, really only, only two shots in the run of play. Um, I think the midfield and the defense is a little bit underrated in this game. If you go and you look at Julian Gressel's passing percentage and, and Al Miron was only around 71, 72%. Gressel was 60 something percent. So the midfield and the, and the fullbacks did a pretty good job of breaking up play. They did really a lot of good things, Dave, in this game. And and it's a, it's a shame that they couldn't come out away with a result. I I think to me, a draw was a fair result given the, the way that the two halves went, I think, Atlanta, you know, that was the better team in the first half. And I think Orlando City was easily the better team in the second half. So I think a draw Agreed. seemed like a fair uh, you know, result to me. And, and I think that people would have taken that on the heels of six straight wins and uh, just to keep things going. But um, especially with a, a tough game coming up Friday night at Toronto. But again, there's more to talk about from this game because oh, stuff, yeah. stuff happened. Um, we talked a little bit about the penalty. It was soft. It was one of those plays where Garza was trying to come back toward the top of the box. Igita was running the kind of the opposite way, put his hand on him, but he really didn't apply a lot of pressure. There wasn't heavy contact. It's one of those games where, again, like Jason Christ said, big game, big match like this. You can't call that penalty. You can't call something that soft, that iffy. And nope. Kelly was in a pretty decent position and still called it. So it was unfortunate because, you know, you're only nine minutes into the game and already you've, you've affected the game. Uh, there was no there was no attempt to go to video review, but I don't really think that in that case you're going to see a clear and obvious error, which is the criteria to overturn that. I know people were complaining that there was no video review. Um, I certainly think there, there could have been some video review for the handball that we never got. Um, Mm -hmm. We heard, we saw him go to the earpiece and and touch the earpiece. So we know he was talking to the uh, VAR but nothing there. The other thing, too, is you just saw three or four real obstruction fouls on the other end of the pitch that didn't get called. And they weren't in the box, but they would have set up decent set pieces for Orlando in, in pretty good areas. One was, um, you know, Tarek had his, uh, not Tarek, El Munir had his, his um, run cut off. So he grabbed the shirt of the defender. And then the guy puts him in a headlock. And yeah. so the two fouls don't overcome the one foul. Kelly calls the foul on El Munir. Um, which, okay, he did grab the guy's shirt, uh, wasn't really pulling it too hard, but he did have a hold of his shirt, but the fact is he was already cut off and then he got put in a headlock. I think the two fouls should trump the one foul, especially since one of them came before the shirt tug and that should have been a free kick. Another one came on the other side when it looked like Mueller had, uh, split two defenders and the second one cut him off and just threw his shoulder out and got him on the ground. And, uh, if yeah. he hadn't done that, Mueller skips through him and he's, you know, it's a scoring chance. And, um, you know, there were opportunities there for, for some set pieces that, that didn't materialize. And I think a lot of a lot of the contact in the midfield that got yellows one way didn't get yellows the other way either. So I yep. didn't think Alan Kelly was consistent. I didn't think he had a good game. 
and you know certainly the frustration built up in the fans uh, as we'll talk about in a moment and and in the players yellow cards were five to one against orlando that is absolutely inconsistent. Mm. Um, not to mention the calls, like you said, the 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 other cars that calls that weren't yellows, um, with the the penalty, that was an easy fall. He went to ground too easy. Did Will Johnson go to ground too easy? Yes, he absolutely did. And I'm not necessarily a believer in make up calls, but if there ever was a time for one, that would have been it. Yeah, and, and it, it wasn't even, even and it wasn't even a penalty. Right, it wouldn't even have been in the box. It would have been just outside the box. So, uh, but it would have set up a good a good set piece opportunity late in the game. And yeah, it would have at least it, it would have at least. I tell you what, if that had happened, what happened after wouldn't have happened. Correct, and you know, as I said, we'll talk about the Johnson thing in a minute. Uh, there were other things that happened in that game that were a little iffy. There was a, a period of time where Darlington Nagby went down. As it turned out, surprisingly, he was not hurt. Uh, uh, he was down milking it. And Almiron made a mench, uh, made a, a gesture like he was going to kick the ball out. So Orlando City yep. sort of just dropped off of him and said, OK. And, and then, then they played did. it through the midfield and uh, and went down the field. And uh, that was pretty cheap. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, somebody's going to get hurt because that's the kind of thing where if, if a team does that to you once – you're not backing off if they go and make that gesture again. You're going to go up and kick them in the foot and <laughs> make sure the, right, the yeah, whistle blows. You know, yeah, you're going to go once. Commit, right. the, commit the foul. You're not going to let them get by you. Um, not a good move by Almarone. Not very sportsmanlike. And, and um, you know, just uh, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And that's the, the way that I saw it, too. It's like, you know, that's not something you do. That's one of those unwritten rules. If you... You it know, rubbed me that, the wrong way then, and, and, and when you bring it back up, it rubs me the wrong way now. It's, I mean, you're going to still... get the ball right back after the restart. You know, they're going to Correct. throw it in, and they're going to give you the ball. So there's no reason to do that other than to be a jerk and to waste some more time. And, you know, there was there was no reason for it. He shouldn't have done it, and, and, and we addressed that. We move on. Now, I know you were at the game, but even the comment, uh, the commentators on TV mentioned that. So it wasn't. It's not an Orlando City uh, bias thing. There, it was said on TV as well. Yeah, it was. You just don't do that. That's. I mean, that's part of the the sportsmanship of kicking the ball out when a player's down, and that has been. Dave, it's been eroding Century, over the years. At least. It, it's been. <laughs> but you, you know, you and I have seen this in our time because we're old enough. Right. It's it's eroded in over the last decade where teams are less and less kicking the ball out. They're more True. and more staying on the attack. Now, there are times when it's been pretty obvious, oh, this guy's milking it. He's trying to kill time. He's, you know, we got the ball in a good position. And then you don't, you don't stop the attack in that situation. But in this situation, you know, Nagby's way back in his own end. The ball, I think Al Maroon was still in his own side of midfield. Yeah. And there's no reason for it. No. There just wasn't any reason for it. And so these are the kinds of things, Dave, though, that uh, they add up. And they build into a rivalry. And we've talked about it before. We're not sure this is really a rivalry yet, but it's it's starting to get there because these are the kinds of things that build that into a rivalry. As well as all the pushing and shoving, there was a situation where, you know, just after that, where the teams got heated. And there's it's no wonder that the teams got heated. And Yoshimaru Yotun is suspended next week because of this play. You know... I really don't want this to be a rivalry, but when games like this happen and, and the things that happen in this game happen, 
it makes it really hard to not end up being a rivalry. I I, <laughs> I was really wanting it to not to be, but it's it's they're making it really hard on me to not look at it this way. Um, it, it was. I think that if if we had had better officiating, I think this would have been an outstanding game. Even if Orlando City had still lost, I think if the officiating had been better, it would have been one of the great games of the season. It would have been fantastic. I think. The, I think uh, if the officiating had had if he had locked it down a little bit. Maybe the yellow card distribution was more equal, et cetera. I think that it would have been a much – well, one, it wouldn't have been as an ugly of a game. And I think it would have been a more enjoyable game, not just for Atlanta, but also for Atlanta, even though I'm sure they enjoyed it. But I, I, I still think that uh, it everybody would have come out better. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Well, as I said, the, the situation heated up, led to some pushing and shoving. Yoshimar Yotun gets a yellow card. That's a yellow card accumulation suspension. So he will miss the game at Toronto by my count, my unofficial yellow card count. Uh, that would be five, and that would put him out. So uh, that's uh, that's on Almiron. That's on the officials. That's on, you know, it's on everybody really involved. And, and then, of course, the escalation. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need to push anybody. There was pushing and shoving both ways. Uh, each team had a guy carded or booked in that situation. So, um, but then uh, the next situation we'll talk about, and this has been something a lot of people have been mentioning on social, is the uh, the little argument between Sasha Kleshton and, and uh, Mohamed El Munir and. To me, Dave, this is a nothing. This is a, a captain barks in order at a player. The player barks back at the captain, and you don't do that. So Kleshin went over and let him know, hey, I'm wearing the armband. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And gives him a little shove. It looks it looks bad to some players, or to some fans maybe, but honestly, those two players forgot about it five seconds after it happened. They apologized to each other. You know, slapped hands and moved on, and and Jason even said that after the game that you know that it's a non-issue. The two two players came together, they talked about it, you know, apologized, and they moved on. There was two guys, very competitive guys in the heat of the moment in a very emotional match, and uh, it you know it, it boiled up, but it wasn't uh, it was never in danger of like coming to you know fisticuffs. It was just like you know, hey, get back to your spot. I said my piece. Don't yell back. Just do what I ask you to do. Yeah, no, that's it's completely much ado about nothing. There is no reason to. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I finish the sentence, you can say whatever you want to, but there's probably no reason to spend any more time on it than we already have. Absolutely nothing, like you said. Captain says something. Player barks back. Captain puts him in his place. That's it. Everybody's fine. Um, it's not indicative of some bigger problem with the team or whatever. N- nothing like that. That's right. That's not the case. Yeah. The only other thing I would say that it, it may have led to that. And of course, you know, that's not something that we didn't talk to Sasha or Mo after the game. They were not the, the players that were made available to us were Justin. And uh, uh, I don't even remember, <laughs> but Justin rightly so. Right. So, um, but yeah, the, it was nothing, but the thing that I think it may have been about was, um, the fact that, that Mo kept trying to cut inside where it was congested and it was messing, it was messing up the offense. It was, 
it was crowding the field in an area where Atlanta wanted the field to be crowded. Um, and he wasn't taking this space outside and getting down to the end line. In fact, Elmanir only had one cross in the game. Yeah. That's not acceptable for the way this offense is supposed to work. Johnson didn't have any. So the, the two fullbacks combined had one cross. Um, you know, then it, what happens is when he cuts inside, other people have to come outside. These are the scorers, the Justin Mirams, the Dom Dwyers, the Chris Mueller's. They have to go outside because the fullbacks are cutting inside. So when they're outside, they're the ones crossing the ball, not the ones trying to head it into the net. Um, and I think that that was a, a problem uh, throughout the game. I think Elmanir didn't trust his speed, which he should have, and didn't get down the line enough. And that may have been what led to that comment, because that was two or three times in like a, a five-minute period where Elmanir came up and he put the ball into traffic. It wasn't much question right. could do with it. Ended up as, as a turnover. Question gets... Kleshin's the one sitting there looking like he's turning the ball over, but he's getting the ball in a bad spot. There's nothing he can do with it. So that may have been what uh, precipitated all of that. I, I'm just speculating. I don't have, you know, any firsthand knowledge of it. But again, non-issue. It's in the past. Teammates get mad at each other all the time in the heat of battle sure. and they shrug it off. It just, it's what happens. And finally, Dave, uh, Johnson's Johnson goes down easy. He's, he's making a play to try to get, uh, a set piece for his team. You can't fault that. But no, of course not. He did it at a, a critical point in the game and then really sold it to the crowd by screaming at the ref in sense that nothing was called. And to me, that's on him a little bit for escalating. If he just gets up and just like kind of waves his hand at the ref, maybe things don't get as out of hand as they are. But I think partly what created the reaction afterwards was how incensed he was. How could he be that upset, Dave, if he actually wasn't fouled? And and a lot of times you do feel like you're fouled when you're playing, maybe, when maybe you weren't. But or maybe he felt like the, the player came in sliding with his feet up. Maybe that's what he wanted called. I don't know. But the bottom line is it really wasn't worth calling. And it's, it's easy to say in retrospect when you've had a chance to look at the replay, but sure. watching it live in person without a replay, it looks like a foul. But what happened next was inexcusable. Um, a portion of the crowd. And I'm, I, I want to make this very clear because there are some, a few members of the supporters groups. When we mentioned that fans in general did something, uh -huh. they sort of, circle the wagons and say that we're coming down and bashing the supporters groups it has nothing to do with that because it wasn't just that section, whether it was from supporters, whether it was from people who bought tickets in the safe standing section, whether it was people in the sections surrounding that the supporters, there were people in each of those instances in each of those groups and not a, not huge numbers, but way too many who threw things onto the field, which is unacceptable. It is never okay. I don't care that you paid for your ticket. You don't have the right to throw things on the field. That's not part of it. It's against the fan code of conduct. And it ruined the end of the game because Orlando City didn't get that last 90 seconds or so to try to, to equalize. It didn't just ruin the end of the game because of uh, making it so that Orlando couldn't have a chance to equalize. It ruined... The perception of the game 
it the the focus went away from what Orlando City did on the field and trying to get back into the game and how the players played and put it squarely on Orlando City fans throw trash on field. That has been the only story about this that anybody is paying attention to. That is the most unfortunate. No, actually, I take it back. That's not the most unfortunate part. That is a byproduct of this. The most unfortunate part is that there are people who paid money and I'm assuming paid money for beers and whatever else that decided that they were so incensed about a soccer game that they were going to throw things onto the pitch during a, during a match, eliminating the possibility for the, the, the team to come back and also um, embarrassing themselves, embarrassing the rest of the, the fan base uh, that is associated with them, possibly drenching you know people in front of them in drink and whatever else, uh, potentially hurting somebody, either a player or somebody in the stands. It is absolutely inexcusable. And I agree that there are people out there who are circling wagons, making excuses. No, uh, it's very simple. That should not happen. It should not be allowed. We as a fan base need to police our own, so to speak. And I don't know exactly what needs to occur to make that happen, but whatever it is, I'm, I'm on board. Yeah, I, you know what? It, it, this reminds me of uh, LAFC. They had that, um, you know, the the slur on the goal kicks uh, at the first game. They acted very quickly as a unit, uh, both club and supporters, and they nipped it in the bud. And they've actually done a good job of, of not of stamping that out. Right. And the same thing has to happen with Orlando City fans. Ninety percent of the people there, more than ninety percent of the people there, were behaving, uh, you know, fine. It was that it was the minority that makes all of us look bad. It makes everybody, it makes the club look bad. It makes the fan base look bad. And I know that some people don't care that they look bad. Some people don't care that, you know, we want to be the bad boys or whatever. Let it, no. let the haters hate, you know, we, let's bring it on, embrace the hate, that kind of thing. That's uh, not okay. You're, you're, that's not okay. You're representing the club, the city, the team. They don't want to be represented like that. Well, no, you're representing you and I and everybody else that is following this team and supporting this team. You don't get to decide that I'm a bad boy. No. Exactly. That's, no. And there's nothing to defend here. If you if you threw something on the pitch on Sunday, you did something wrong, and you should not be allowed back in the stadium for a long time. You, that's just the way I feel. And, you know, that's it goes against the fan code of conduct, and uh, you broke the rules. As I'm incensed about it, to be honest with you. Our, no, I don't think anybody was madder than Sean, our, our Sean Rollins. And he said he, – he had a great line. Uh, crimes of passion are still crimes. Yeah, God, that you, was You great. could say that, you know, it just shows how passionate we are. A lot of fan bases are passionate. That doesn't mean they litter their own pitch with garbage and, and potentially hurt somebody and cost their team a chance to get points. What happens if Orlando City finishes – Let's say they make the playoffs, but let's say they don't make the, you know, they have to have the play-in game for the yep. knockout round. Maybe they lose it, but, you know, maybe they're one point behind of getting a first-round or, or not goal differential or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, we don't know that Orlando City would have scored a goal, and maybe they would have conceded a goal, but still, 
to have that chance removed seems wrong to me, and especially for something so silly. Um, you can be frustrated, you can be mad, but you got to channel that the right way. You can't uh, you can't let let that boil over and make everybody involved with the club look bad. I it's was just frustrated. not a good look. It's not a good I was, look. I didn't like it at all. I'm sitting there, and, I, and that's why I missed the replay of the of the Johnson play because I was sitting there watching stuff fall from the seats and just going, this is unbelievable. I don't know that he's going to even restart the game. That was my immediate concern was I don't think they're going to restart the game. And even if they did, you knew that it was going to be as soon as they kick it, the whistle's going to blow because they're not going to let that stuff fly. It's it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's it's utterly ridiculous. Like I said, they a few people should not get to decide what other people think of me. And that's what happens in this one. Now, I'm very fortunate. I, I know one Atlanta fan. He is a friend of mine in Tallahassee. He and I watch uh, the national teams together. We are very good friends. And, you know, he and I had good discussions about the match. Uh, how can I, I – I have no defense of what happened to him other than knowing that he's an intelligent person and knows that it's only a few people. But uh, – other than that, there's there, there's no defense for it. I have nothing I can say. There is nothing. There's nowhere for me to stand other than to condemn the actions, which of course I do. Uh, it, but it, it's I. We shouldn't be, and uh, nobody should be put in the position to defend those types of actions at a sporting event. Yeah. And the other flip side of that is, I've heard people saying that. You know, uh, this makes me ashamed to be an Orlando City fan. Don't be ashamed to be an Orlando no. City fan. If you weren't the one that did it, don't be ashamed of that. That's not you. That's someone else. And it's it's on the rest of us to say that's not okay, to point out that that behavior is not fine. And that's that's what we're doing here on this podcast. That's right. what a lot of people are doing. Um, Orlando police already uh, reported 15. 15 people that are not going to get to go to a home game for quite a while. And Orlando city is going through game film and, uh, you know, and, and their, uh, their security cameras to, to see about maybe some more people not uh, going to games. And that's, that's fine with me because that's not, that's not who needs to be going to these games. You need, you need to behave yourself, comport yourself with a little bit of class, a little bit of dignity. Um, even when things aren't going your way. I mean, somebody pointed out that, um, I think it was the Orlando Sentinel columnist that pointed out that there are bad calls in college football, but yeah. you typically don't see this kind of behavior in college football. Every once in a while, something boils uh, over, but you don't but see it. Not, you don't see it spill out into the field. You see yeah, it in the stands. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right, I mean, so. That, that's so we've we've said enough about this. We've talked about it enough. It's not something we find acceptable. And anybody that thinks that that there's nothing wrong with it need to go they, they need to go take a good hard look in the mirror and reevaluate their priorities and why they're so, going to soccer games so slight preview or, or not maybe not preview depending on when when we post this versus my article that uh post on uh, well no this will post tomorrow so thursday if you really need to talk about it this is addressed on my thursday article comment section is open have at it yeah i mean quite frankly i i'm i i I think that, you know, people say, well, this this, this doesn't just happen in Orlando. It happens other places. I don't care about other places. Right. I, Absolutely. I want 
let let's say Philadelphia. Let's say you know Philadelphia has had a reputation for fans who throw things and and sure and that kind of thing. But you know what? Don't you want to be better than them? Don't you want to just say not say hey other people do it? Don't don't that's like no. oh, you know well you know Tommy takes drugs. What's wrong if I take drugs? <laughs> you know it's it, Look, you can't Bob, use that. Bob you killed his <laughs> sister. What was it a big deal if I killed my sister? You can't take that logic. You can't. Of course it not. doesn't matter that other teams do it. Be better. Be better than those fans. If somebody on other fans from another team does do stupid things, be better than them. That's all. That's all we're saying. And again, this is not directed at any particular group. No, I want. I can't stress that enough. Individuals. Because I don't know how many times we've mentioned some some fan or another did this or that, and then. One group or another decides that we've come down on them. That's not what we're doing. That's no. not what we're doing. It wasn't limited to the wall. No. Not everyone in the wall is in a supporters group. No. My tickets were in the wall. I'm not in a supporters group. Correct. So it's a lot of people that come to games for the first time go stand in the wall because they want to see what it's like. Right. So it's not, it, again, this is not about the SGs. No. This is not about the fan base in general. It is about the individuals who, you know, think they need to be part of the action because they got mad at a referee. Like a referee has never made a bad call before in the history <laughs> of mankind or in the history of other sports. Let's uh, move on. Let's <clears throat> because, because we could do like another hour on this and I don't want to. Yeah. Okay, so the Orlando Pride, Dave, they are still going strong. Five games without a loss now. A very successful road trip. Uh, the last two games happened since our last podcast. A draw at Utah in the ugliest game I've ever seen. Oh, and yes. A win at Portland, which I didn't think we would see. Woohoo! Uh, but we a, a, a very difficult place to play, Providence Park. They go in. They get the victory. They get two early goals, give up one on a set piece where eh, nobody really was that worried about the best player in Canadian history and potentially <laughs> one of the top five strikers that have ever played the game. Uh, Christine Sinclair, just let her go. She's not going to sc- sure. Oh, wait, she scored. Oh. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's that- really tall. Imagine that. From that point on, it was just a matter of can we not give up the second goal? And uh, somehow – they didn't give up the second goal. Well, they did give this, up the second goal. It was waved off. Right, um, despite Sinclair trying. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, uh, you know, Lindsey Horan put the ball in the net on a, a – honestly, I thought that goal should have counted. I don't think that Ashlyn Harris had a good handle on that ball. I think it was already spilled when uh, when the contact was made. I would have allowed the goal. But um, the pride did uh, did hold on. That second goal was waved off. In fact, Portland had a, an earlier goal waved off for offside that did look like the correct call. Uh, and uh, not very good at uh, defending corners in this game. But uh, the pride held on and get uh, get the 2-1 win. Really, when I looked at the, you know, the squad rotation for that game, I thought, wow, hang in the game, get Marta on the field in the second half and maybe do something. Exactly. Uh, but Marta didn't even play in the game, Dave. And she, nope. uh, she got a, a rare game off, uh, after the Utah game at, at, uh, you know, at altitude. Um, but, uh, they were, the pride were able to, uh, to get a, a two, one win at Portland. Usually it's a two, one win for Portland, uh, <laughs> right. when these teams meet, but, uh, not this time. So, uh, just to recap, 
This three-game road trip, 2-0 win over Chicago, 1-1 draw at Utah, 2-1 win at uh, Portland, and those two wins were against teams that Orlando had previously never beaten. So uh, very awesome. And that, the draw at Utah, the first uh, ever trip to Rio Tinto in a game that really you could have probably put your baby to sleep in both you, you know, put one child in each goal and they would have never been bothered. They would have slept through the entire match. I had, I, I had to do, I had to do the five takeaways for the, the Utah game. It's the hardest five takeaways I've ever had to come up with because that game was so boring. So nothing. It was, it was unbelievably hard to come up with. And five takeaways is usually one of the easiest articles you ever write because surely there's five things you can talk about. That one was so hard. It was ridiculous. Just a sloppy game oh, for both, both teams. I mean, credit both defenses for playing well, but also just a slew of ridiculously bad turnovers from both teams, especially the pride. I thought yeah. it, it got to the point where I didn't want any throw-ins because a throw-in was directly <laughs> going to go to Utah and Utah was going to break the other direction. It was, I, I that's burn the game film. Uh, but uh, you know, getting a point on the road, nothing to sneeze at, you know, we talked about this, this uh, six games, Mm-hmm. that the pride have with five of them on the road and the the other one being at home against North Carolina Courage first place team that has not been beaten yet and uh, that's the next game coming up we'll talk more about that with our special guest but I said if you get two wins and two draws out of those six games that's a successful stretch and they've already got two wins and one and draw, draw in the first yeah. three games so you know they've got North Carolina at home they go back to Chicago and go to Seattle Seattle's playing very well right now you get another draw out of these three games mm-hmm. uh, or more, and that is a great stretch for being the toughest stretch of the season. And then Orlando set up very, very nicely the rest of the season. So the Pride um, really positioned well. And I'm telling you, Dave, they're not playing their best soccer no. right now. Offensively, they don't look in sync yet, uh, but I think it's coming. I think it's coming soon when – when uh, Tom Sermani's been doing – you know, he's been having to, to do some squad rotation uh, – Alex Morgan's been in and out. He's going to eventually hit on the combination that he likes. They're going to start to click. Some of these international players will find their groove because they're still kind of feeling their way after coming back from international tournaments. And once that starts happening, these goals start scoring. Orlando Pride, Dave, could could be well positioned to battle North Carolina uh, for the supporter shield and uh, and for a home round, a home buy or a buy in the first round of the. Uh, the playoffs and a, or not a buy, but a home home match is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to spit this out. Get it working. out. But yes, in in the NWSL, the top four teams uh, make the playoffs, and the top two teams host uh, that first round. So they are in a, a good spot if they get through these with another win and, and and you know or another draw and anything really anything more than a draw in these three games, they've really treaded water nicely. And um, and then they're set up with a, a lot of home games in the second half of the season. So, um, so I, it, it I, looks good for the Pride right now. It does. I want to point out a couple things. So, obviously, it was the first time that the Pride beat the Thorns uh, 2-1. That alone is historic. That's fantastic. But what everybody needs to realize is Alex Morgan hadn't scored yet until that game. Now she has. And now, yeah. And she's been 
she was out and hurt. And even in that game, I think she was hurt and she still got her, her first goal. Naren's goal was insane. That was, it was phenomenal goal. And I don't, I hadn't heard, uh, I'm assuming Rapino got goal of the week, even eh, though probably, but even though her shot was from a similar spot, but closer in and not on the half volley and with n- really nobody bothering her at all. Um, but it's Rapino, So yeah, Naren had a, a much, uh, tougher, a tougher shot and, uh, she really nailed it. But I, you know, Marta didn't get uh, goal of the week for her free kick goal that she should have, she should have got goal well, of the week sure. for So, because but, it's it's and I think Tobin Heath won that week because it's the U.S. Women's National Team fans uh, they flock to to right. to flood the ballot box for those particular players and you know what that's and, that's their right they're, and okay. they're allowed to do it. it that's the system the system is a fan vote and the fans uh, sometimes vote with their heart instead of their heads and that mostly, and, mostly do which is okay but and, um, and okay but go back well, and watch that Christine Naren goal because yeah. it let's is let's not pretend that any amazing. goal was better than Naren's this week it was absolutely amazing and there's five angles that you can watch her from it's absolutely amazing it was fantastic um the other point that i loved in that game was harris goes down she gets hurt she's down for uh, two minutes something like that gets up and in 30 seconds makes the save of the week tremendous yeah uh yeah and harris uh, did get save of the week and uh hard to argue it was a really good save um and, uh, you know, she's been the beneficiary of some of these U.S. women national team fan votes as well. Uh, but this one, I think, was legit. I think it was a good uh, good decision to give her goal of the week this week for. Well, and my uh, argument is, is that that w- it, my argument for it is it was 30 seconds after she got her. She got up from being hurt mm-hmm. and 30 seconds later, she makes that diving save. So on a normal day or day, maybe that's not the you know save of the week, but. If you look at it in context, which I don't know that everybody did, they like you said, they probably voted for her on national team stuff. Yeah. But from context for us, I was like, she just got back up off the ground and then she makes that say it was phenomenal. Well, I'm pretty sure I would be dead if uh, Lindsay Horan hit me that hard. <laughs> if Lindsay Horan hit us that hard, we would absolutely be yeah. like a stretcher, carry me off the field. So uh, a win and a draw, good road trip. They'll be home on uh, Wednesday the 23rd. That's a week from the day that this drops. So we'll actually get another podcast in uh, without a Pride uh, game to talk about, um, or to recap anyway, uh, before they play, uh, before the Pride play North Carolina Courage at home. And I think everybody should go to this game. We think everybody should go to every Pride game. Yeah, I think you should fill the stadium and just go because this is a team that's worthy of your support, and um, they're playing well. And, oh, by the way, they're playing the first-place team in the league, and it's a chance, uh, depending on what happens with North Carolina this weekend, could be uh, still undefeated at that time. So go cheer the Pride on to victory. And speaking of the Pride, we've got uh, our special guest coming up. We'll get to that interview right after this. All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, very pleased to have with us from the Orlando Pride, Alana Kennedy. Alana, thanks for being on the podcast with us. Hey, guys. Thank you. So I want to start out by asking you, I mean, the club seems like it's on a little bit of a roll now, unbeaten in five, but I I get the sense that you guys think this team can be even better, even sharper, and and play um, even better soccer moving forward. 
Um, yeah, I think you're right in saying that. Um, it's been, um, I think now I've played three, four games um, since being back. So, um, and yeah, we've been undefeated in the first four or five, which is great. But um, even for me, for example, I feel like I've sort of just got back into the swing of things and conditioned myself to be back in the middle. And um, yeah, we're sort of just, I feel like we're just clicking now and definitely got um, plenty more in the tank and a long season to look ahead to. Well, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you're back and, and getting adjusted. Obviously, between um, uh, the Australians and the Brazilians, the, the team was missing quite a few. Um, how important is it for the team having everybody back and being able to work together now? And is that what is getting the results? Um, yeah, I think it's it's been really important to have everyone here. Um, the girls did a, a great job having to deal with sort of, um, you know, the different changes throughout the first four weeks and um, adjusting to different roles. Um, but, yeah, it's always good to have your, your full squad here. Um, and I think um, we've, just can't, we've done really well as a collective, both the, the players who have been away and the girls who, as I said, have been here from the start, have played a huge role. If anything, they've played, you know, the, the greatest role um, <clears throat> for us to be where we're at. And, yeah, we've definitely still got, um, plenty more in the tank, and I think um, our best football was yet to come. Now, Alana, I probably should have led with this, but between W League and Asian Cup and the international travel and now, you know, thrown right into the NWSL season, how do you feel physically? Um, yeah, I feel right now I feel good. Um, if you had asked me that about a week or two ago, I would have said I feel exhausted. Um and, yeah, as I said, my first couple of games, I think, um, first of all, I was a little tired from the travel, but um, having to condition myself to be um, in the midfield because um, I do play as a centre-back um, with my national team was something that was um, an adjustment that for me for the past, you know, even six months since I've been um, in Australia, I've been playing at the back. So, yeah, it was definitely hard for um, that transition and, and it's been a really busy schedule for um, a lot of our international players. So, um, yeah, definitely felt a little bit tired, but I'm, I'm pretty good now, and I've just come off some three days off, so actually looking forward to getting back into it tomorrow. Excellent. Um, so, obviously, you mentioned uh, international play. Um, you've got yourself and Emily in the midfield for the Pride. Um, how How is it... Uh, being on the pride with her and of course on the national team and, and what does that do for you guys um, you know as far as either morale or just support for each other um, yeah it's, it's really good um, I've known Em since I was about 12 or 13 so about 10 years now and um, we have a great friendship and um, good chemistry on the field as well um, I think we play obviously different roles um, in this team as we do to the um, the national team. I don't usually play in the midfield with her in the national team. So for me, that was exciting as well because, um, you know, I always get to sit back and watch her quality in there. And for me to be able to play next to her um, at, at Pride is exciting. Um, but, yeah, it's always good to just have another Aussie around um, to make it feel a little bit more like home. Now, were you kind of in charge? Did you kind of take charge of, of showing her around and, and uh, sort of introducing her to Orlando? Um, yeah, I sort of took her under my wing. Um, she knew um, maybe a couple of the girls, but um, she settled in really well and um, you know, gets along with everyone really well. Um, 
but yeah, so I think that's the Aussie way. There's not there's not much to hate. You know, she's a, she's a, she's a good person, so um, you know she did a lot of that herself too. Well, speaking of being in Orlando, um, give me your impressions of of what it's like playing in Orlando City Stadium in front of the Orlando uh, Orlando Pride fans, and um, w- what that does for the team, uh, especially when you're at home. Um, yeah, I think that's where we're all most comfortable playing is at um, Orlando City Stadium, and. Um, the the pitch is flawless and the stadium is it's a great atmosphere to play in front of and um, you know we love having our our fans there behind us and I think for me I I feel very close to the the fans at, at this club and um, yeah always look forward to a home game and I think um, so far we're undefeated at home this year and we're looking to keep that up. Now from sort of an outside view, it really looks like Tom has. Uh interesting decisions to make every week this year's team seems so deep and so talented you've been back now for a few games what are your impressions of this year's team as opposed to last year's um i think we've just added even more depth and um yeah i think for some people you you can look at the lineup and think if that's what you're alluding to like maybe it's a, a different lineup each game but um, I think that's why you know we can do that because we do have um, a lot of great de- great depth and mm-hmm. um, Tom's playing playing management is amazing and he knows what we need so um, you know I never sort of question there's never a doubt with the team that he puts out that we'll be able to do the job. Well, speaking of Tom, what is what is it like playing for him? Um, you know, Michael and I have our own impressions of him and and you know what we think of him as a person. Uh, for you as a player um, and as a person, what do you think about uh, about Tom? Um, I've also known Tom for a very long time. I think I've probably known him longer than anyone in the team. I've known him since I was about eleven or twelve as well. So um, <clears throat> I just think for me. Um, his knowledge um, of the game is is unbelievable, and he's been around uh, for a long time and and earned um, a lot of respect as a coach. But um, I guess more importantly um, is that we're all people, and his um, his player management and his the way he treats us all as people is um, for me what's more important than anything. So um, yeah, I just I couldn't speak more highly of Tom. I think he's he's just an amazing person. You know, we've been talking about the, the current schedule and, and how it's been shaping up. You had three games on the road. You get a home game, but it's against the first place team in the league and then two more on the road. Do you guys kind of feel like if you get uh, through this stretch of the season in good shape that you're set up for a really strong run the, the second half of the season? Um, yeah, I think so. I think um, we've just come off a good performance against Portland, um, but we obviously still have plenty of things that we can take out of that game that we want to work on. Um, and coming up against, you know, <clears throat> Courage, who are, who are top of the table, and being able to play them at home and after after a good win, I think, is a, is a good time for us to play them now. And hopefully we can continue that momentum. And, you know, you know any game where you win against the top team, if we can do that, um, sets you up for a good few weeks and, uh, for us, hopefully a good second half of the season. Well, obviously, I know that you're going to have the uh, a similar goal to the rest of the team, or you're going to have your your goals are going to align with the team goals as far as you know making the playoffs, going further in the playoffs, um, you know winning championships, 
et cetera. What mm-hmm. I'm curious about, though, is on a personal level, what personal goals or growth opportunities are you looking to achieve this season? Um, I think for me, the first couple of weeks, I've really had to sort of focus on on getting myself, um, as I said, conditioned to being back in the midfield and um, just getting those touches back on the ball in there. But um, I think with the role that I play in this team, I'd, I'd like to be more of um, a vocal leader um, on the field and to be able to sort of dictate, um, so to be vocal, but then also to be able to dictate the game um, and do things through my actions on the, on the ball. So, um, yeah, I think even contributing to goals would also be good. I'm yet to score one this season. But, um, yeah, if there's any way I can help the team um, to, for us to progress and... Um, then that's what I'd like to do. Alana, you know, we, a lot of people talk about uh, attendance in NWSL. Obviously Portland is a sort of an outlier. They, they have a a tremendous following up there and and then kind of everybody else is sort of in a a bit of the same range with Orlando, maybe leading the pack um, of that. But can you give us a sense, because we don't really get to see a lot of W League games, like of attendance in, in Australia for a regular season club game as opposed to in the U.S., and, and sort of how you see the, the game growing over the past few years? Um, I think for us, um, for the Matildas um, alone, obviously not W League, but for the Matildas, we had a huge um, a huge jump in our crowds um, in the past year. But for W League, I think we're still yet to have um, that sort of <clears throat> follow on through to yeah through to the W League from the Matildas, but um, definitely um, over the last couple of years um, it has grown. Um, we probably get two to three thousand for um, that's probably pushing it even maybe two thousand for um, for a home home match at, at uh, Melbourne. But um, yeah, so definitely would like to see more numbers out there and um, in comparison to our Matildas games, but um, yeah. It, the, the atmosphere playing over here is also um, something that I that I love um, being able to play in front of. Um, if I compare that to, to Australia. Now, uh, looking ahead, uh, like Michael said, you've got Courage coming up. Um, are there is there anything in particular that the team is wanting to do as far as um, strategy or goals you have going into the game? Uh, tell us a little bit about. You know, not necessarily the game plan, of course, but uh, your all's approach to taking on uh, North Carolina. Um, I've actually just arrived back in Orlando. We've had a couple of days off, so I'm sort of yet to be back around the team um, for us to discuss that. But <clears throat> I think just looking at the game, um, I've watched it back, and um, I think we would probably just, um, I don't know, this is just me speaking, but I'm sure um, most of the girls would agree that I think we need to sort of um, be able to dominate the game for longer periods. And um, our start to the game against Portland was, was great, but um, we obviously lost a little bit of momentum. Um, and it was pretty soon after we scored our second goal that they that they got one back. And so if we're able to just um, control the game uh, for longer periods and um, just create more chances. Last year, you know, we I, f- I feel that we created a lot of chances at the start of the season, but we weren't able to put them away. And then we finally started putting... Um, you know, putting them away and, and still having a lot of chances. But um, I think this year um, we haven't seen as many chances. So if we can sort of um, create those and be able to uh, execute them, uh, that's something that will obviously give us a lot of success. You know, Alana, a lot of the NWSL fans are aware of Sam Kerr. 
um, and what she's been able to accomplish. But you get to see her, you know, for your national team and that kind of thing. Uh, and you've seen her growth in recent years. Can you just tell us, like, really how good is Sam Kerr? And, and you know, is she currently the best player in the world or top five? Or where do you see her right now? Um, yeah, I would definitely say she's she's one of the best players in the world at the moment. Um, I think for me, um, she's always had this incredible potential and talent um, and <clears throat> just gifted with, with certain things that um, you know other players don't have. But, but um, I've, I've seen her sort of really work hard um, to sort of add that onto her talent this uh, in the last couple of years. And I think it's been amazing to watch and she's grown immensely. And yeah, I, I love being able to play with her and, um, she, <clears throat> I think she's still even, you know, she, she didn't get a lot of the awards that I think she deserved last year. Um, so I'm hoping that, um, she continues to, to do really well and she can get the, um, what's the, you know, be acknowledged for, for all the hard work that she's put in. Well, speaking of, um, you know, among the best players in the world, obviously you share a field with Marta, um, uh, how you know, and you have for a little while now. How has that been? Is there anything that you've been, you know, been able to take from you know watching her and playing with her? Um, are you sometimes just like the rest of us, uh, a little bit amazed as she's doing what she's doing? <laughs> what what is it like? Uh, what is it like playing with the the five time World Player of the Year? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> yeah, and definitely sometimes in awe of some of the things that she's able to pull out in training. Um, it seems effortless um, to the rest of us. And I think that's, for me, um, you know, I, I remember watching her when I was uh, younger and to be able to share the pitch with her um, every day now is, is obviously a privilege for all of us here. And, yeah, definitely, <laughs> she's definitely able to pull things out that you just don't expect or, you know, other players wouldn't think to do. So, um, yeah, she's she lived up to all the all the things that I'd heard and seen. And um, yeah, every day in training, she's she's got something something she pulls something new out of the bag. So, um, really enjoy playing with her. She's also a great character within our team. So, uh, yeah. Alana, before we let you go, uh, just we, we we can't let you get out of here without asking you. First of all, did you know Tom Sermani? Did you ever expect Tom Sermani to be acting out a scene from a famous '90s movie? And before you go, we got to get your best Tom Sermani story. Oh, I so the first one. I uh, did. I know what. Sorry, I don't. I don't think I heard that he was doing. <laughs> did you, he? So uh, no. <laughs> yeah, he acted out a scene from uh, I believe it was Armageddon, uh, prior to '90s night, and um, brought the house down. Really. <laughs> oh really? He's got so many stories and so many. He's very. He's he loves telling us our, uh, his little stories that most of the time no one laughs at because we're too young to understand. So, um, <laughs> but oh, I've got way too many Tom Samani stories. Um, but honestly, I, I'm just, for me, I'm just so happy that I'm, I'm able to play under him again. Cause I, when he sort of left us for the, the Australian national team, I, I wasn't sure that I was going to get that opportunity again. Um, so yeah, I'm just really happy to be playing under him again. All right. Well, uh, we were hoping for something a little more juicy than that, but we'll let you go. What have I got? I don't know if I have anything. Alana, Kennedy, it's been so great talking to you, and we wish you the best of luck the rest of the season. Thanks so much for being with us on the podcast. No worries. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me.
All right, let's head into some stoppage time, Dave. We want to obviously thank Alana Kennedy once again for being our special guest. It's always nice to talk to one of the members of the Orlando Pride, and the, the Australians are always very polite and very, uh, very fun to talk to. Uh, my voice just cracked like I'm in puberty or something, Dave. I don't know what is up with that. I, they told me this would stop years <laughs> ago. I'm going to be 52 this year, and it's still doing it every once in a while. Uh, evidently, you're 40 years off. I guess. Does that mean I'm going to get acne? Because I don't want to go through that again. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely glad that portion is over. Um, anyway, uh, thanks to Jackie Maynard also from the Pride Communications staff for uh, hooking us up with Alana and um, and allowing us to get that interview in. It was, uh, it was, it was fun. So, Dave, we've got a couple of things going on before we get out of here. We've got to do our mailbag, obviously. Obviously, and uh, we've got uh, you know we've got to do some key matchups and score predictions for Toronto FC, and also uh, just one a quick note uh, we don't really talk about them yet because they're not really a thing yet they haven't uh, played a single game but the Orlando Sea Wolves a new MASL team signed mm-hmm. former Orlando City player Lewis Neal today as uh, uh, you know I think. They've only signed maybe two or three players, but uh, Lewis Neal continuing his career indoors uh, in the MASL. So uh, good for Louis. I was going to say good on you, Lewis. We're proud of you. Good for Lou. Um, anyway, uh, so there's that. And, of course, uh, we've got our mailbag. And we've got some mail. I should uh, – should, We do. We've got quite a few emails or Twitter, Twitter questions. I don't know if you got anything from Mark Johnson this week. I – do have something for Mark Johnson. All right. Would you like to start with Mark Johnson? Let's do. But before we do that, let's uh, let people know that they can uh, ask us anything, like anything. It doesn't have to be soccer related. Uh, you no, can do that. Not. Two different ways to do that. You can email us, themainland at gmail.com. And uh, also you can at us on Twitter, at themainland, and uh, use the hashtag AskTMLPC, which stands for The Mainland Podcast. Um, I don't know why I say it in that kind of a rhythm, but um, because you're that cool, <laughs> that's, I'm not sure that's the appropriate rhythm. Other people might give it different rhythms, but that's the rhythm I have chosen. Uh, and uh, of course, spell main M A N E, please, not M A I N M A N E. So uh, well, you can spell it M A I N, but we're not gonna it won't it. get to yeah. us. So what does Mark want to know this week? So uh, Mr. Mark Johnson wants to know. Is the Atlanta Orlando a derby? And if it is, should it be the Waffle House derby? No, I think we've already determined that this is the Southern Showdown or the Southeast. That's true. Southeast we did that Showdown. last week. Yeah. To be fair, he was busy with finals last week, so that may be why. Don't give, um, me, any, don't give me Mark's excuses. <laughs> I'm not interested okay. in Mark's excuses. Now, so we're not going to call it a derby either? It's not going to be a derby? It's not a derby. No, it's a showdown. No, it's not a derby. You're right, because it's not the same town. We've been through this before. It is right, It is well, the Southeastern Showdown. We have determined it. And so it is written, so it shall be done. So it shall be done. And anybody who does anything similar to what uh, Michael said a week ago, <laughs> we, we, we shall be coming for you if you try to steal it. Yeah. Well, you know. Not really, but, you know, whatever. What are we going to do? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in Tallahassee. I'm not coming for anybody. Yeah, I think we're the only blog in the country that doesn't have lawyers on staff. Wait, Mark Johnson's going to be a lawyer. Yeah, but he's not on staff. Do I have to give him a job now? Well, just make him a writer thingy. I don't know. 
We'll see. Just for like once a month, and then he's on retainer. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. Um, okay. <laughs> is that all Mark wanted to know? That's all he wanted to know. That's it. Okay. Well, thanks, Mark. Appreciate you, uh, you know, getting back with us. Um, let's see. Uh, before I get to our next uh, question, I do have a five-star uh, review. Ooh, I, that's two weeks in a row. Yeah. Again, spoil. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, Foster forty six says this is without any doubt the best podcast for Orlando City fans. It also has some interesting guests. So there you go. Okay. Well, the second part of that is absolutely true. Yes. The first part, I'm blushing. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably the first time ever that it somebody sounded more excited about uh, the podcast itself than about Alana Kennedy. That that's absolutely true. Yeah. That's... <laughs> Because I'm more excited about Alana Kennedy than I am, you know, talking with you. No offense, of course. None taken and same. And that, exactly. And, and I, would, when, I would expect so. When I say same, I don't mean talking to you. I mean talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have an emailer this week, um, Matt Matthew. I, don't, I, I guess it's Matthew. It says Matthew, and uh, I don't want to assume that people call him Matt because people assume. And call me Mike sometimes. And I'm like, really? Okay, now here's the funny thing about that is obviously everybody knows I'm Dave or David. I'm one of the weird ones. I don't actually care. Yeah. Dave, David, I don't care. Actually, I went by Mike uh, as, you know, as a kid because, you know, you're a kid, you know. But, now, see, know, I, can't, I can't see that with you. But I, would, I mean, I get yeah, I've been, I've been in, I, I returned to Michael probably my first year of college, and it's been that ever since. Now, if I'm going to be fair, the one term that I don't go by, or I should say I only go by from my sister and formerly my mom is – or my grandmother, Davey. Okay. Well, Nobody else. I think we've extended this already long podcast long enough on this. All right, fine. <laughs> Let's go on. Matthew would like to know, uh, after the disappointing display of garbage on the pitch – I noticed some supporters on Twitter saying they thought it was okay to do this as a show of frustration. I'm not a member of a supporter group, and my only real idea of what they do comes from social media and hearing chants in the stands. Other than berating the other team's supporters, the refs, and posting profanity on Twitter, what good do these groups actually do? Uh, all right. Uh, Matthew, I want to just say right here that there are tons of great people in the ILF and Ruckus, and I don't think that a few... Um, people should be representative of the group as a whole. Uh, the supporters groups do a lot of great things. They put together the TIFOs. They organize all kinds of charity events. They do yes. a tremendous amount of good work in the community. They, they, they give of their time. They give of their efforts, their energy. Um, they, you know, they do a lot of good things, a lot of positive things. And, and I would never, ever denigrate the supporters groups as a whole are there Correct. are there you know a small percentage of of the members of those groups just like the entire group of fans in the stadium on sunday as a whole that uh don't always act appropriately sure but i don't think that's a representative of the the support groups uh supporters groups in uh you know as a whole so uh, hopefully that um helps a little bit and also you can visit their websites to see all kinds of other good things that they do i know we had um 
uh, when Luis was on our, our uh, staff, he went and covered uh, a, a Habitat for Humanity uh, effort that the uh, yeah. that the ruckus was involved in. So, you know, they, they do all kinds of great things. And, and certainly um, don't let what you see on social media cloud your judgment because not everybody is good at social media. Not everybody is good at uh, at presenting, uh, you know, their best foot forward. I mean, even myself, I, I'm, I have... I've made faux pas. I just talked about one last week. Last week, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, forgive and forget. Uh, just take the good, you know, the, the good is the majority. So take it as a good thing uh, that we have supporters groups um, and just hope that the ones that, that behave appropriately, um, you know, police the ones that don't and, and that we can all, um, you know, put a better a better face on on the team's fan base than than uh, what we saw on Sunday, and 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 most of Sunday was okay, but that end of the game was certainly not okay. So, okay, but I so think thanks for the email, Matthew. Did you have anything to add to that, Dave? I, I, only two small things. One, uh, which you kind of touch on, um, one bad apple is not a bushel. So, one bad apple doesn't mean the rest of the apples are bad. Two. If you are concerned about the um, the direction of a supporters group, go join the supporters group. Invest in the time, change the culture. Yeah. Um, you know, make 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 a difference. Um, and that's the the best way to to make sure that you are being supported the way you want to, or the team is being supported the way you want to, is to go be a part of that group, be a voice for being a level-headed person, being a good fan, etc. So. That's all I would add to that. Uh, okay, so let's get to the Twitter questions. Parker Cleveland would like to know, uh, how can Orlando reach the bar that Jason Christ says Atlanta United set? Um, Parker, I think first of all, the Ooh. the first step, that, that's a great question. First step was this past offseason, changing the roster, getting quality players, good locker room guys, good leaders, um, intelligent soccer players and, you know, adding in young raw talent like Coleman, like Chris Mueller. I, I think the yep. first step that in that direction has taken place. Um, the next part of that has to happen on the field. The team has to come together. They have to gel. They have to uh, start playing 90 minute soccer the way that they, you know, the way they train, the way that the coaches want them to play. And I think that's really all it takes to to reach that bar, at least if, if you're discussing the team on the field. If you're talking about the organization as a whole, um, I think it helps to get somebody with more money than God to run things. <laughs> I think that money. Yeah, I know Flavio is not poor. Uh, certainly when you no. compare him and his bank account to Dave and myself, however, no. he's not Arthur blank. He is not. And the other thing, so you're, you're right on, on both of those points. Uh, so we've gotten the personnel in and they are starting to gel in the field. Um, the other thing I think that has happened is, you know, there was a lot of talk before the season about uh, Jason Christ and the four, four, two diamond. What have we actually seen in this win streak uh, it's not the 4-4-2 diamond. We've seen a 4-2-3-1. So I, we've seen that Jason is willing to adjust the formation on the field for the players that he has to maximize uh, the, the players that are out there to maximize the points. So that's a, a positive for me 
in what is going on at that level. And then you add in the players jellying and all the other things. Uh, you're absolutely right about the other thing would be crap tons of money. Um, <laughs> we all we all know that that's how Atlanta did it. They simply somebody backed up a Brinks truck and went boop 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 here build a team. Um, they didn't do it the way we did it. They did it the easy way, um, which is lots and lots and lots of money. Yeah, we had to do it the hard way, and that kind of sucks. But and it it's 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 always. It's always hard to be like that, but we did it the right way, even though we're not winning things. Well, you reach uh, the, we reach the pinnacle. The, the people that have been around since the USL days, it will be very special for them. Absolutely. So, um, appreciate the question, Parker. I want to piggyback on something you said, but you brought up Jason Christ. Something we didn't mention: uh, Jason Christ buying purple roses for the mothers on Mother's Day. Tremendous, fantastic. I think one of the things that people sleep on, the especially the Christ Out uh, crowd, which uh, haven't heard much of them in the last six weeks. Um, They've been a little quiet. They have been. Uh, they're still out there. They're just hibernating. They're waiting for something. <laughs> they're, waiting. they're waiting for something if, to go wrong. They're waiting for a lopsided score so they can go, aha, I told you. No, so we had one loss. If we lose next week, oh, they'll be back. Yeah, they'll be back. But um, I want to say that, uh, you know, in my dealings with Jason – and, you know, I don't see him every day. I don't I'm not able to get to training because I actually have to work for a living uh, doing something other than what I love doing, uh, which is uh, talking soccer and writing about soccer, which I do. Yeah, Michael and I would really like to get paid to do what we're doing <laughs> right now, but we don't. Yeah. So uh, what I know of Jason is, is and that a lot of these folks don't know is how much he does care about the community, how much he does care about winning and putting a good product on the field for the fans. And I think that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. But, um, you know, they did a thing on him, an interview with him where his parents talked about him. And, man, did he just cry like a baby. I mean, it was it was a very <laughs> emotional interview. It was it was um, it was good because you got to see that side of him. And, and I think that those of us that have talked to him on uh, many occasions and, and have gone out to trainings and, and been in the postgame press conference have seen that he can be that emotional guy that he can, that he does care. I mean, see how much he cares and how much he's trying and how hard he works. And every single person that you talk to on that staff and the players, they all say the same thing about how much he works at, at building a winning team. And, and I certainly don't think he's um, lost it. The guy that won the championship also came within penalty kicks of winning another one. Um, I don't think he's a bad coach at all. I don't think he's the wrong coach for this community which is something that i've seen people say i don't think he's the wrong coach for this group of players i think that he's a guy who's tried to build a team and they didn't take a big enough swing last year and this year they went for the fences and they got a pretty good team uh, and i think we saw that on the field on sunday because they stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with a team that was clicking on clicking on all cylinders um coming off a loss sure coming off a midweek game sure but that was a team that had been you know basically steamrolling through the season uh, since opening day, an opening day loss. And the only reason they lost in the midweek before the Orlando game is they had their goalkeeper sent off and had to play a man down for the rest of the game. So uh, against, uh, you know, a pretty decent team. So anyway, um, onward we go. Um, Dan asks, uh, how did the Pride manage to win in Portland with Marta on the bench? Uh, very simple. Um, they're deep. Christine Nairn 
scored a heck of a goal and they uh they simply kept on it the entire game I, it, it it's the difference between the the top and and the bottom of NWSL is is less so than the top and bottom of other leagues and Orlando is one of the top at least four teams in the league they have been unlucky or victims of whatever against Portland, but it was bound to happen at some point and it happened this time. So, um, you know, Alex gets back on the score sheet. Mm -hmm. Naren's goal was insane. Um, Harris makes save of the week. Uh, It's uh, sure. Maybe everything happened. So it lined up that way, but it was bound to happen at some point. You can't, there's no way that a, a team, the quality of the pride is going to continue to lose to another team in the NWSL. So it just so happened that it was that week. Um, mm-hmm. Tons of parody. Taking, taking nothing away from Marta, of course, but you know there are other great players in that squad. Yeah, the question I have for Dan is uh, hopefully he's not trying to get at maybe Marta shouldn't be playing. Uh, hopefully no one thinks that because Marta is uh, still a tremendous no. talent. Um, but the reason that they won is because they started the game very, very well. Uh, Portland didn't match their energy. They connected on passes that would not have even come close the a few games earlier or a few days earlier in Utah, but they were, they were, they were sharp early and they pounced on an early mistake that Portland made, scored the first goal, got a little confidence, scored a second goal. And, you know, it's a lot easier to play from ahead than it is, (laughs) you know, in that environment, you get worn down eventually. And if you get out and get a lead and they've done that before, but this time is the first time they've gotten a second goal. So um, they were able to get that lead and then they, I thought they did look tired and got a little discombobulated toward the second, you know, the, the, the later stages of that game. Um, but they held on. They got the, they got the points. They bring them home. Dan, thanks for the, uh, the question. Um, next question. Uh, AZ20, another pride question. How does the team now go forward uh, playing more consistently in both the attack and defense? With eight games played, what formation uh, do the do? Does the coach think suits best for the pride? And what's the biggest thing the team as a whole need to improve on? That's, there's a lot to unpack there, so I'm going to start with wow. this. Wow, yeah. Go uh, ahead. How does the team go forward in playing more consistently in the attack and defense? They just got to gel. They got the they got the international players back. They're, uh, you know, they, they came back, and they don't just step in and, and instantly everything starts clicking. These Some of these players have been playing a lot of soccer and logging a lot of miles. And I think that these few days off are probably going to help uh, the Brazilians and the Australians get better assimilated into the team. Uh, they've got a few extra days of training. It'll be almost like a second spring training um, heading into the North Carolina game. I think you're going to start to see them, uh, you know, just build their chemistry. This is a every team, every season is a new season, and you have to rebuild that chemistry. Um, some of the players obviously coming back from last year, but the, you have to you have to build that chemistry and include the new pieces that come in in that chemistry. So I think it's just a matter of building chemistry. I think that this team has played very good defense overall. Uh, Portland's a really good team, a a really good attacking team, and they were able to get a lot of shots. Um, Didn't get a lot of them on on target, thankfully. Um, Thankfully. But, uh, you know, credit to to Orlando's defense. You know, they went on the road, and they did get a shutout. Uh, They get back-to-back shutouts. So, um, you know, the defense, I think, has been pretty good to start the season. And uh, it's just a matter of time before the offense catches up. That's my thoughts. You have anything to add on that one? Uh, not really. I 
you know, the formation, we, we talked about it internally. The formation might be better as a 3-5-2, uh, but Sermani probably won't go to that. Regardless, with everybody that's back, there's plenty of depth. Uh, there's plenty of talent. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's a question, like you said, of just everybody getting back, gelling, and it all coming together. Yeah, Tom seems to like the 4-3-3. Uh, best. He also has used the 4-2-3-1 before, um, but I would say that the, the preferred uh, is the 4-3-3. He also does like to occasionally go to the three-player back line and, and do either like a 3-4-3, 3-5-2 sort of situation, especially when um, he's going for the win late and he brings on some offensive players. Uh, and luckily, he's got enough versatile pieces that you can do that. You can... You can uh, can play Tony Presley at fullback. You can also play Tony at midfield, or you can move her to the you know the center back position. Krieger can play as a wing back or a center back or a fullback. So there's there's plenty of versatility on that team that they can play a, a variety of of ways. I, there's you know we have our our little thoughts on what we think the best lineup might be, but um, uh, it, right now it's going to be you know it's going to be competing in training for those starting spots. And then uh, Tom's going to put the 11 on the field that he thinks matches up best. And let's be fair. We're not Tom Sermani. Mm, I've won fewer games than Tom Sermani. I've won my career. Many games less than Tom Sermani. <laughs> uh, what's the biggest thing that the team as a whole needs to improve on finishing fin- And I don't mean just shots finishing in the final third. That means that last pass has to get where it's going and the shot has to be on target and not right at the goalkeeper. I think those are the main things. And I think that that will come uh, once this team starts to build a little bit more chemistry and they start to move the ball a little bit more confidently in that final third. Yeah. Agreed. That's um, and not just finishing in the final third, but finishing games out. Yep. All right. Frank Altamari. Thank you, AZ20, for the uh, the question. Frank Altamari wants to know, uh, what would your fantasy road game opponent be to attend in person? Ooh. Um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go Portland, just because I'd really like to get up to the Northwest and see everything that it has to offer. I mean, that's... I've I've been to like, Idaho, like I've been almost there in Idaho, but I haven't made it all the way up to Portland. So, yeah, if I can go out there and and, and of course they have an ex- excellent experience. So if I can go out there watch that game and also go hiking and biking and whatever else they have to offer out there, that that would be my uh, ideal trip. Frank's uh, he mentioned that he uh, he went to the first Orlando City game at Mercedes Benz Stadium, so that's a good one. Um, I have uh, there's a lot of ways to look at this. Um, the city in the league that I'd most like to visit is probably Vancouver. Um, but that's good. Not necessarily their stadium. Um, I would love to go to Portland to see Providence Park and and that and to to be in that atmosphere to soak that in. Um, yep. But I think right now, if you're asking about my fantasy road game opponent, it would be next year in Columbus to see the Crew because that means they saved the Crew. Oh, that's a good fantasy one. Yeah. And I hope it comes true. I hope it comes true. Yeah, so that's, and, that's and if it does, listeners, <laughs> if it does. I'm putting this out there right now. Let's start a GoFundMe for Michael to go to that match, assuming that Columbus is there. Yeah. That's my hometown, too. So. All um, right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Spot on Twitter wants to know, what changed in the second half to tighten things up defensively, or did Atlanta just go more conservative? Um, my take on that is, yeah, I think Orlando or Atlanta did 
somewhat uh, take the put on the brakes, but I think that Orlando also dictated that, and I think I, I think to me the biggest defense, uh, the biggest change uh, was Uri Rosell coming in and calming down the midfield and helping. Um, you know, with his veteran presence, I thought that he passed a lot more accurately than, than Christian. I thought he read the game better, and I think that he made Yoshi better. Yeah, it, there's no doubt it was a combination of things. Obviously, with a, a 2 nothing lead, um, Atlanta was a little bit more willing to sit back, but it's Atlanta, so not a lot. Uh, but I, I agree that Yuri was the difference maker there, and also, I, I think that with down two nil Orlando was able to loosen up because you know what what else are you going to do are you going to keep playing tight no you, you have to push forward you have to push for the goals mm-hmm. so it helps them loosen up a little bit um, obviously Yuri um, being a big part of that but um, yeah that would be the difference for me Alex uh, Motes wants to know uh, well I mean he I, I want to give him credit for asking the question but we've already answered this talked about uh, Al Miron uh, was an Elmerone classless when he, he was acting like he was going to kick the ball out when Nagby was down in the 82nd minute. But instead of playing it forward, uh, it needs to be a two-way street. We agree it needs to be a two-way street. We've addressed this. Uh, we both think that that's not the way that Elmerone should have gone in that situation. So Wait, uh, I want to I answer that question. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Uh, that is our mailbag. Please uh, hit us up, themainland at gmail.com or... Uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter at the mainland with the ask TML PC hashtag. All right, man, this is ginormous, supersized edition of the, uh, the, uh, podcast, Dave, but uh, Which, we, to be fair, we knew that yeah, was going to happen. We did. We, I mean, I, and I really would have liked to have talked more about the two pride games, but man, we just had to, uh, something's got to give. I would have liked to have talked more about every single thing we've talked about tonight. Absolutely. Uh, except throwing things on the field. Cause I'm done with that. Yes. All right, so Dave, the the Lions are going up north of the border to take on Toronto FC, a Toronto FC team that has been um, disappointing, but in a lot of different ways, not surprisingly, because a lot of focus on the CONCACAF Champions League early, and then a lot of injuries to this team, yes. not really 100%, a lot of people missing Josie Altidore was already going to be missing because of surgery on his foot. And now yep. Giovinco will be out after picking up a red card in the most recent uh, game that Toronto played uh, when uh, they lost at New England. So, um, you know, and that was a hands to the face situation and it was a little bit rougher <laughs> than what Kaká did. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you mean it wasn't it wasn't one of his longtime friends that he was just messing around no, with? No, it wasn't, and, oh. it, and it also was a little rougher than Nocherino's uh, "I'm sorry, I'm Italian, so I'm going to touch your face" maneuver. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> but Giovinco, also Italian, very expressive. Right. Yeah. We, we are an expressive people. We touch, and uh, you know, the the Major League Soccer says you can't do that. So, uh, but I will say that Giovinco's was a little more angry than uh, than uh, Giovinco or than uh, than uh, Nocherino's or Kaká's were. Uh, he gets a game off, and um, you know, barring some kind of weird overturn, which uh, would only happen against Orlando City. Um, so expect it any day. <laughs> but I will caution everyone: this is not a team to be trifled with. Just because they're missing some guys does not mean there's not a heck of a lot of talent. Toronto had the deepest roster in Major League Soccer last year. Last year, they turned in the single best season by an MLS team, really, when you look at their treble. And 
yep. nearly won. I mean, came within penalties of winning the uh, and and really missing a sitter late of winning uh, Concacaf Champions League. So this is not a team to be trifled with. They've got great players like Vasquez that are not out. Um, Marky Delgado plays very well. Uh, Michael Bradley, um, Alex Bono. They they've got players and they're not a team. Uh, that is going to be easy to beat, even when they're not at full strength. Two St. Ricketts is a capable uh, striker. They have guys that can put the ball in the net. Dave, what are your key matchups here, and what is your final score prediction? Okay, so you're correct that this is a very deep team. People are negating them right now because of the whole CONCACAF thing, not realizing how difficult that is while also playing the MLS season. And given that they were the American team, or MLS team, excuse me, closest to winning that in 12, 15, 20 years. So um, it's it's nobody to take uh, lightly. However, that being said, um, Giovinco is out. Altator is out. They do have others out. Um, I think that the key matchup is going to be Orlando City getting back on their scoring ways. Yes, Justin Merrim was able to score a goal last game, but was the only one. I think that they need to get Dom back in it. They need to get Mueller back in it. They need to get the rest of the offense back in it. So uh, my key matchup is um, actually not those guys, but um, the midfield getting balls serviced into those guys uh, against, you know, uh, Michael Bradley gets a lot of grief for a lot of things, especially because of us men national team stuff, but he is a good uh, D mid player who uh, is very smart on the ball and is very underrated. So if the Orlando city midfield can get the balls into the, the strikers uh, and produce goals, I think that they will be able to win. So my key matchup is, is our midfield against their midfield, getting the balls into the offense. I do think that Orlando city bounces back in this one. I do predict a two, one win. I think we start the new win streak. Um, and that might just be hopeful me who was gone last week, but rightly so evidently. Um, and so hopeful me is back and, uh, two, one. All right. I, um, I think it'll be interesting to see, uh, Rosell will likely get his first start, um, in place of Yotun and he'll be paired with Aguita. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch. But I think for me, the key matchup, uh, I think you touched on it at the beginning of your spiel there. I think that, uh, it's the... Orlando City attackers getting, you know, into scoring position and, and finishing against a Toronto team that really has uh, not given up many goals against Orlando City over the years. It's uh, It's been very, very difficult to score goals against the Reds, and I think that they are going to come out very uh, strong in this match because they uh, have, have taken some knocks even at home. And Greg Vanny has been kind of on the warpath this week about getting back to protecting the you know, BMO field. And I think, uh, the going to BMO, it's going to be a difficult situation. I, I'm predicting a two, two draw in this game. I think that, um, Toronto is going to play out of their minds. Um, they're going to want to, uh, rise to the occasion of Giovinco being out. And I think that they're going to, they're going to be very, very difficult to, to break down and to stop because they, the guy that I think has really helped them out and really pushed them to new heights is Victor Vasquez. Uh, that's hard to argue against. I'm just being positive. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so it probably will be neither of those things. 
No, we we know for sure it will be neither of those scenes because we've never ever been right. Yeah, so it was. <laughs> I think we have. Ever, right, no, have we? Yeah, we need to go back and find us, out if we one were of us ever has, was right. One of us has been right at some <laughs> I point. I think I think I was right one Just time. I think I've been on like 56 podcasts. I think I was right one time. We are the blind squirrels who find a nut once in a while. Um, but I did predict, I predicted three, one Atlanta last week and I'm glad that it wasn't three, one. So, yes, it's true. uh, anyway, so yeah, that's the way I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it a big, uh, I agree. Chris Mueller's kind of disappeared the last few games. I'd like to see, uh, him return to form, but I have a weird feeling that Coleman might start this week. Ooh, um, I like it just because I, I think he really did, um, insert some energy into the, into the game. And I think that now he's had a taste of being on the bench for a while. I think that, um, it might be time to unleash him because those these young guys that are just loaded with talent, sometimes they come in and they try to do too much and they're, they're playing at 110 miles an hour when they should be playing at, you know, 90 miles an hour. And I think that's what it kind of looks like with him sometimes is that he's playing faster than he, he should be when he needs to just yeah. take, a, take a breath, relax, and just be himself. Um, trying too hard to impress. And I think that um, – he might get an opportunity this week. Mueller certainly is, is a hard guy to take out of the starting lineup, though. I mean, just, uh, just look at it. He when does they, so much. Even off the ball, he does just so say, much. Look when, look when they subbed him out on Sunday. He sprinted off the field, just had to be God. tired and gassed and had been playing in heavy weather. And he, but he knew. He knew that his team was down and he needed to save every second. And he sprinted. I, I love to watch that kid play. He just he uh, gets it. Ah. Uh. Everybody has been listening and, and reading my writings about all of it from the very get go when we got him. I've been absolutely sold on this kid and he has lived up to every bit of it. So even when he doesn't score, like you said, running off the field fast, whatever, trying hard. He puts an energy into this game that is almost unprecedented on the Orlando squad. I mean, you got to go back to Adrian Venter for somebody that would like energize everybody that way. Yeah, he's great. And I'm glad that you kind of – I thought for a minute you were having a stroke, but I'm glad you weren't because you were just like, ah, ah, ah. I, I, that's, how, that's, how, that's how impressed I am with this kid. I, thought I was worried. I was worried there for a minute. Well, I, I am old. Glad so you're I mean, that's, that's, a valid, that's a valid worry. All right, let's put a bow on this thing. It's been a long night of recording this. This will pop out on uh, on Wednesday the 16th. So, uh, if, you know, we will we will be back next week to talk about Orlando City at Toronto FC. We won't have a Pride match to talk about, although we will preview, obviously, the Pride versus North Carolina Courage. Um, but no game in between then as they, they get a rare uh, weekend off to, uh, to recuperate and uh, get some training sessions in and go back to, to the basics. Uh, so we'll be back to talk about all that next week and maybe we'll have some more to discuss. Uh, we, we do know that, uh, Lewis Neal is going to be a sea wolf and, um, uh, good on you, Lou. We've heard that, uh, Luke Bowden may be joining him in the not too distant future. Uh, he's, he's technically still under contract with the Tampa Bay Rowdies and I'm not sure when that expires or even if they're still paying him because he's not training with the team or anything right now. So he might be just getting paid to, to. To sit around his house and play if, video games. If, I don't know. If if that happens, can we also say good on you, Lou? Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. People might smack us for it. But um, yeah, yeah, but anyway, that's enticing. You know, you're gonna have more soccer in Orlando with uh, with maybe Lewis Neal and Luke Bowden to cheer on. So that's kind of cool. 
So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we'll be back to talk about all the things that are worth talking about next week on this very podcast. But let's wrap up uh, episode number 125. Thanks again to Alana Kennedy for being this week's guest. Thanks to Jackie Maynard for setting that up. Thank you all for listening. Please read our stuff at themainland.com. Uh, like us on uh, Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and uh, we will you know, certainly uh, read your your uh, five-star review on the air if you uh, leave us one on iTunes. And please uh, feel free to leave uh, you know, your honest uh, star reviews there and uh, to recommend us to your friends and subscribe to our podcast. We really appreciate that. On behalf of David Rowe, I am Michael Citro signing off episode number 125 the way I always do by saying, Go City and Go Pride.